The Nick Abbott Habit. There was a massive amount of news about this week and it fair boggles my tiny mind just thinking about it. There was the nice 80-year-old lady in Shanghai that threw a fistful of coins into the engine of the aircraft she was about to fly on for luck, like it was a wish fountain. It didn't bring her luck. It brought her to the attention of the authorities. Then there was the faecal bacteria found in ice cubes in drinks in some of the best-known coffee chains in the country. I always thought their drinks tasted like shit. Now I know the reason why. They're full of shit. There was the Donald Trump swimsuit, which has a huge picture of Trump's face looking shocked on the front of a woman's one-piece. If you haven't seen it yet, look it up. It's the worst thing that has ever been designed for a human being to wear, including everything in Elton John's wardrobe. Then there was a story about Kate Beckinsale which even the so-called quality press got in a right tizzy about, because she's 43 and she's going out with an actor, model, whatever, who is 21. And the first thing I thought when I saw 86,000 pictures of her and her paramour accompanying those stories was, who's Kate Beckinsale? I still have no idea, but I do know that she has transgressed the newspaper's rule that says that successful women are not allowed to do what successful men do all the time and pick someone half their age to fiddle about with their personal area. Then there was the result of the England versus Germany football match. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what England versus Germany football match? You probably thought that footballists were safely on a break from falling to the ground, feigning injury and spitting when they miss a shot on goal or spitting when they accidentally pass the ball to the opposing side or spitting when they come off worse in a tackle or spitting for any other reason whatsoever all of the time. You probably thought that footballists were on what seems like the brief six-day holiday between the end of last season and the start of the next. You might have imagined they'd be getting a tattoo top-up having discovered, while posing for selfies, a part of their anatomy that doesn't have any ink on it, and will be selecting some phony Celtic scribble or misspelled Latin phrase to get stabbed into them that they think means win at all costs, but actually says shop at Costco. You probably thought that footballists were busy boinking a selection of bubble-headed, blonde, tanned, desperate lovelies at a hotel in Dubai before uploading the footage they've taken of their efforts onto YouTube, YouTube. But no. There was an actual international football tournament going on this week. The reason you didn't hear about it is because it's an under-21 tournament. That's not an under-21 IQ tournament. It's their age. And this being football, guess what is the average age of the England under-21 football team? Go on, guess. I double dare you. If you said 20, that would be a smart guess. 20 is the oldest that a player could be while still being under 21, so it makes sense that the team would be made up of the oldest and most experienced players available. But their average age is not 20. No, the average age of the England under 21 football team is 22. That's actually true. I'm not making that up. So this week, the 22-year-old England team actually reached the semi-finals of the Euro Under-21 competition, which is a great achievement. And they probably got that far because they did not have to play Germany at any point. Until, as though history is stuck like the needle in a record, they had to face Germany in a semi-final. 
and even if you do not know the score, you will probably be preparing yourself to be sick as a parrot. Because yes, it went to penalties, and yes, they f***ing well beat us again. The England manager announced that he was gutted. I'm absolutely gutted, said A.D. Boothroyd, who is the real manager of the under-21 team and not just a comedy northern name I made up. He used to manage Watford, so he knows a lot about losing football matches. He explained that not only was he gutted, but that he was also sick, which is medically not possible. Germany will, of course, play Spain in the final on the 30th of June, and all eyes in this country will be firmly looking at something else. Anything else. We'd rather look at the Parliament Channel than see our twin nemeses share in the glory of another major football tournament final without us. Damn it! I'd rather watch Boris Johnson trying to tell us he has no designs on the top job while sharpening the knife he plans to stab Theresa May with. At least a British person would be likely to win that match. What makes me think that Boris wants to take over from Mrs M? Well, I saw it in a documentary programme called Yes Minister. It's a rule I learned from watching Yes Minister that something in politics is only true when it's officially denied. And Boris Johnson has officially denied challenging Theresa May for the leadership. He has officially denied that he has any ambition in that matter, so that means he does then. Specifically, Bozo of the FO said he would not challenge Mrs M for the post until Brexit is delivered, which may be the smartest thing he could do. The negotiations will probably be so fraught that it will cause the PM's hair to fall out, and Boris is too fond of his artfully distressed mop to risk it. He'll lie low. And after Brexit has sucked the life out of the Prime Minister and reduced her to a grey husk, Boris will lumber heavily over her carcass and accede to the position he has always sought, ruler of the universe. Unfortunately for him, he'll have to share that position with another clown with silly hair who currently resides in the White House and whichever of his golf courses he wants to advertise at the American people's expense. Our Foreign Secretary has been hotly tipped to take the top job since David Cameron peed in the political pool by ordering a referendum and then sauntered off to spend more time looking through the Bowdoin catalogue for summer clothes for the hefty gentleman. In fact, Boris has hotly tipped himself to take number 10 since he was in shorts. And if you've ever seen pictures of him at that age, you will know that he had the exact same hairstyle then as now. And the ambition is also unchanged. He'll try to squeeze his size 12s into Mother Teresa's strappy leopard print slingbacks as soon as she takes them off. But, sensibly, he has ruled himself out of a challenge for the leadership until the Brexit has stopped hitting the fan. He insists that Mrs M has no immediate fear of his attack because the public wants calm and stability. I think he means strength and stability, as in strong and stable against a coalition of chaos. Maybe he didn't get the memo. Everybody else did, as we know from their endless repetition of that phrase, which was the idea of some Australian genius who's been knighted for excellence in being him, if you can believe that. He used the same phrase for some Aussie election campaign, and it had the same effect on the Australian public as it did on ours. They hated it and it failed. Still, if at first you don't succeed, just do the same thing over and over. That'll work. Anyway, Boris, who doesn't appear to be either strong or stable, 
and seems to be in a constant state of chaos, was asked by Channel 4 News if he was ruling out standing for the leadership until Brexit was delivered in 2019. And he said, yes, we've got to get on and deliver the priorities of the people. Which is an interesting proposition, because the priorities of the people seem to be changing on an hourly basis. I know a week in politics is a long time, but really it's like we walked through a portal into a world that looks like ours, but isn't. It's like we're stuck in the Matrix and the computer's on the fritz. A YouGov poll for the Times said the people do not want Mrs M as their PM any longer. If you can believe this, more of them want Jeremy Corbyn to be the leader in the nation than they want the current PM to stay where she is. What an amazing turnaround! Considering that just a few weeks ago, the vast majority of the people in this country thought that Jeremy Corbyn would be only good for laying on the floor by the kitchen door as a draft excluder. About a month ago, you could have made a tidy sum writing one of those books they keep by the tills in Waterstones, full of cartoons. You could have called it 101 Uses for the Leader of the Labour Party. You could stick a pole up his bottom and plant him in a field as a scarecrow. You could turn him upside down and use his beard as a bog brush. You could crush him into small bits and fill the potholes in the road with him. That sort of thing. Now he's top of the pops. The kids love him. And he couldn't have got a bigger crowd at Glastonbury than if he was given out free drugs and wet wipes. And the leader of the strong and stable Conservative Party now looks like the captain of a boat with a hole in it that she thinks will mend itself as long as she doesn't acknowledge its existence. She's up to her eyebrows in water. The catfish are nibbling at her kitten heels. But she says everything is shipshape and full speed ahead to the land of the hard Brexit. But in other news... Rather than the hard Brexit that Mrs M seems so desperate for, 58% of the public said that they want free trade over closed borders. I wonder if that's one of the priorities of the people that Boris is talking of delivering. You know, when you've spent your life developing a stage act of tassel-head, unkempt and chaotic buffoonery in order to swerve any difficult questions, if you've worked hard at creating the image of a clown so that your burning ambition is cloaked under this affable, non-threatening, messy, dimwit act, it's a bit of a stretch for the public to be asked to imagine you as a leader. If the people think of you as someone at home in a pair of big floppy shoes, red nose and an orange wig, who arrives in a tiny car when all the doors fall off, it's a bit difficult to tell us that you were kidding all along and that you really should be leading the country. If you've spent your whole life acting like an ass, it's a bit hard to get us to take you seriously. And anyway, perhaps the mop-top minister's not quite ready to steer the nation. He was asked on the radio about the social ills that Theresa May insists she wants to tackle and what action the government intends to take. And our chief diplomat said, and this is a direct quote, There are measures, I believe, in the bill on the courts which I think is supposed to address some of those issues and I think one thing in particular we are looking at is um, measures to... Hang on a second. Followed by a loud rustling of papers. After which he said, there are all sorts of measures that we want to take to ensure that we do not discriminate against everybody and uh, I think you'll find that the Prime Minister has been strong on that. All of which makes as much sense as a man who wears the same hairstyle at 50 as he did at 5. Mind you, he probably wouldn't have got himself in the squeeze that Mrs M now finds herself in, giving out favours to the Democratic Unionist Party to keep her government strong and stable. It's like propping up billion pounds under a table leg to keep it from wobbling. You know, my brother sent me this poser, and I mentioned this on the air a few weeks ago. He is a British citizen, 
and he is married to a quite lovely Iranian girl, and they're thinking of which of their two home countries they should go and live in. He said that they could go to a country which is in the hands of a fanatical bunch of religious fundamentalist zealots who are backed by active terrorist hit squads, or they could move to Iran. Like I said, it's like we've stepped through the looking glass. Everything's back to front. And then there was the news that Great Britain had launched a hugely expensive 65,000-ton aircraft carrier with which to cower our enemies into submission. But our enemies are teenagers with laptops in North Korea, and nutters who want to blow up buses, and builders of tower blocks who've skimped on fire safety, so it's hard to know what this mightily costly vessel is for. But don't worry, it won't work, because its systems are run by computers that are using Windows XP which is about as secure as leaving your front door open and popping a note on the welcome mat, asking thieves not to steal anything. It's one of a pair of boats that's costing us over £6 billion, and they're controlled by the kind of software that a primary school child could hack into with one hand while holding a lolly with the other. What could possibly go wrong? The Defence Secretary announced that it was all completely safe, but what he knows about computers you could write on the back of an Intel chip. Bing bong, bing bong. They're both aircraft carriers, but we can't afford the aircraft. And even if we could, they'd just be huge, sitting targets that will have to be surrounded by the rest of the Navy just to keep them safe. It's almost as though we're being run by dopes. They've named that floating white elephant the Queen Elizabeth, by the way, which is a nice gesture, and it makes it only the eight millionth thing in this country named after the Queen. And she was in the news this week because of the amount of money that her and her family rack up going on holiday which, for reasons of hoodwinking the public, is known as taking royal tours at the behest of the government. Weird that the government always seems to ask the royals to go to wherever they want to go on holiday. Let's call it a coincidence. Well, as Theresa May quite rightly pointed out, there is no magic money tree for the nurses to get a pay rise, but there are whole orchards of the things for the royals to gad about the place in the manner to which they, and they alone, have become accustomed. Oh yes, other fabulously rich people can jet about in private aircraft, but they usually have to pay their own way. They don't get a freebie, like her madge and her hangers-on. And no one else on earth gets to travel to a luncheon engagement on their own blooming train. Paid for by people that can't even afford a season ticket to take them to work, standing up and arriving late. The money trees are constantly in autumn mode, Piles of cash building up at their base when the royals are out there picking it up. But they are bare and dead and leafless by the time the rest of us are invited to do some gathering. They don't always travel by private jet or train. Sometimes they have to slum it by being driven about in the finest cars that are available to humanity. And it was in the back of one of those that the Queen broke the law this week. Some eagle-eyed fan of health and safety called 999 and reported the Queen to the police because she wasn't wearing her seatbelt, which is against the law as dictated by Her Majesty's government. But as it was Her Majesty that was breaking the law, she probably gets a pass, or at most a ticking off by a police person from the other side of a wall of heavily armed soldiers ready to obliterate anyone who comes within frowning distance. She was on her way to her favourite thing, watching horses go round in a circle. And I drove past Ascot Racecourse on Ladies' Day, and outside all was calm and ordered. It had to be because there were men in uniforms with approximately every weapon that has ever been invented hanging off their bat belts. Inside, meanwhile, all hell was being let loose. 
underneath the shade of a thousand silly hats, vast amounts of alcohol were being consumed in the afternoon heatwave. What could possibly go wrong apart from what usually goes wrong when Britons are encouraged to drink before they've had their dinner? The scenes were reminiscent of a crowd at a boxing match who go to see a fight and decide, all things considered, that they'd rather provide their own violent entertainment and they start throwing chairs at each other. A man, naked from the waist up, was filmed flailing about, knocking over drinks, people and fencing as he attempted to demonstrate what a big boy he is by acting like a toddler. Could have been worse. At least he was fully clothed from the waist down. Not to be outdone, women were soon slapping at each other as well. It was Ladies' Day after all. And at Royal Ascot too. Isn't that absolutely shocking? No, of course it's not. It would be absolutely shocking if it had gone any other way. That shirtless man, who was as bald as a bowling ball, engaged in a fight with another punter and careened about, fists clenched, shouting, Let's finish it off! as he rampaged through the crowd, knocking things and people over like skittles. Fair makes you proud to be British. This all happened in the Queen Anne enclosure, which sounds a lot classier than it is. Racegoers in their dressing-up box Sunday best screamed as the hairless pugilists and another man shouted earthy abuse at one another like they were on a building site. They were not on a building site. They were, in fact, in the presence of Her Majesty the Queen who had been through enough that day, what with a dull speech she had to rattle through in Parliament, before hot-footing it to the races. Around shoeless women passed out on the ground, guests could be heard shouting, F***ing idiot! and F*** off you, coward! as the shirtless man lurched about, fists clenched like the baddie in a Charlie Chaplin film. A woman cried, Where's security? Where the f*** are they? They were probably shielding the Queen from what was going on in the Queen Anne enclosure. Women joined in the melee because many hands make light work of embarrassing the nation in front of the world's press. The fight started at about 5pm, which was probably five hours after the main participants had started drinking. One witness said it started out of nowhere. No, it didn't. It erupted out of people not being able to control their alcohol intake. And it started out of stupidity. There's a lot of that about. It was reported that the bold man was spotted earlier in the day at the Cobham services off the M25. He was apparently shirtless even then. But he was wearing a tie. Because, you know, that's classy. And as the events unfolded, Her Majesty was presenting the gold cup to the winner, Big Orange. But all the coverage went to the Big Lemon. That's it, you can... Get the books of the columns What I Write on the Kindle store on Amazon, the latest of which has a picture of me under attack by a monster from the deep. And I'll be back on LBC Friday and Saturday nights from 10 and back here for the next podcast on the middle Friday in July. And until then, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things! <laughs>